Good morning, Big Woods. My name is Mike Fry. Some of you may know me, some of you may not know me. Um, my wife and myself take care of the children's ministry here and just making sure we have people back there and volunteers and filling in when needed. Um, I've also done youth group and teaching children Sunday school for the fourth and fifth graders, as well as filling in occasionally for high school and middle school. Um, but all of that really doesn't matter this morning because I am not your normal pastor, nor am I the normal fill-in pastor, but the Word of God does not change based on who's up here preaching to you. Um, and so this morning, we are going to dive into Romans 5, but before we get there, if you could just pray with me, and we'll start with that. Dear God, I thank you for the day you have created. Father, I thank you for helping us to wake up this morning in every breath that we breathe. Father, I thank you for this opportunity, and I pray that you speak through me. Father, I pray that you help to focus in on your message this morning. And Father, I pray that you help us to put everything else aside as we are looking into what you have for us today. Father, I pray that you open hearts and open ears and eliminate distractions. In your precious and holy name, amen. All right, so as a quick review, we are in the book of Romans. We started in Romans chapter 1 with kind of this intro to who the Romans are. We've got two different parties kind of with conflicting interests, and Paul is writing to address some issues that were arising within the Roman church. And then he gets into, before he even starts to address these issues, he gets into verses 16 and 17, which is kind of his overarching peak for the rest of the book. And so if we kind of flip back here, I'm just going to read it for you. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For it is in it the salvation. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so Paul starts here, and then very quickly he just jumps off the deep end into this very deep, dark area. He's building a case against humanity. And he starts with what we would look at as the lowest of the low. The scum of the earth we could put it. And then he quickly, as he's working through Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2, he's reminding us that these people that we like to snub our noses at are the same people that we are. We are no better than them. And he wraps up into chapter 3 with all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so he's built this case, he's brought it to a, all right, we are all under this. And then chapter 4 last week, Pastor Tim starts getting into an illustration of somebody from there. And 
that best illustration was Abraham. I'm going to quote in here James chapter 1, verses 18 through 22. But some of you, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, the faith was active long, along with his works. The faith was completed by his works. And so last week, when we were looking at Abraham, we were getting this picture that faith is important, and faith is what saves. The works are the outflowing of that faith, though. And so this week, we're picking up in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So if you want to flip there with me, again, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. We're picking up, coming out of Romans 4. And I'm going to read the last two, three verses of Romans 4 because we have a very important transition here. So, but the words, it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And picking up in verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into grace, in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope in the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. These five verses start a turning point. We're starting from Romans 1 through 3 is the case that's built against us. Romans 4 is an illustration of how faith plays out. And Romans 5 is the, where we start to turn from, all right, we need faith for salvation. So now what's that doing? What's that look like? Where's that bringing us to? We laid the foundation of the righteousness of God, and now we're looking at what's that accomplish? And Paul starts right off the bat with something that is very, very near and dear to us recently, and that's suffering. And I'm going to get to 2 through 5, but before we get there, I'm going to take us back a little bit and focus us in. I have this tendency when I'm reading to read for the big picture. And so when I read the, these five verses, right, 
I'm just focusing in on the suffering right at the end. And I'm like, all right, I got some points I can bring up here on just suffering. And then as I started to read a little bit deeper into this, I'm like, wait a second. Suffering is brought up in verses 2 through 5. What about verse 1? And so I reread verse 1, and I realized I had accidentally replaced one of the words in there. And so I'm going to read it through with you. And I'm going to read through what I thought. So, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what it says. In my mind, I read, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I started thinking about this. I'm like, wait a second. There's a big difference between those two words, and it's very small words. But having peace with someone and having peace in Jesus or in God are two completely different ideas here. Having peace with someone implies that you were at war with them before. And so this brings me to point number one. Through faith in Jesus, we have received peace with God. Through faith in Jesus, we have received peace with God. Again, the overarching idea between those two words, with and in, is kind of the same. We're still getting peace. The question is, though, where's that peace? Who's that peace with? And so the implied war that was there before we've been provided this peace, albeit a very one-sided war, right, is our war of rebellion against a God who created us. Now, thankfully for us, God doesn't just pick up swords and order us annihilated immediately. But there's still a war raging. And I think today's culture shows us that war better than anywhere else. A God that thinks he has the right to tell me what gender I am. A God who thinks he has the right to tell us what is and isn't allowed. A God who thinks he has the right to declare some righteous and others not. These are things, these are conflicts that we run into. How dare God tell me these things? And I'm going to stand up here and tell you right now that he has the right to tell you that and so much more. You may not like it, but he created us. He created you. He created me. He created the entire earth. We get a picture in Genesis of how he created everything. And then he establishes a rule. And very quickly it was crossed. Very quickly that rebellion just kind of popped itself up and reared its ugly head. And yet... Through this, God's plan has not changed. 
In Ecclesiastes, we see the author take up everything under the sun, and his ultimate conclusion for the book is stated this way in chapter 1, and then wrapped up at the end. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. And he wraps up his book, Fear God and Keep His Commandments, for this is the whole duty of men. So as Christians, the first thing we receive from our faith and justification in Jesus Christ is a release from our pointless war against the creator of the universe. We can be at peace with God. And then this quickly leads us into point two. Through Jesus, we receive the hope of the glory of God. So not only through this faith in Jesus have we received a peace with God, we now continue through into verse 2. We receive the hope of the glory of God. That's like God, a king that we are at war with, a king that is over everything, larger than any empire we've seen before, larger than any nation kingdom we've seen before. We're at war with that God, and that God goes, you know what, I know you're trying to fight me, but we're going to have peace. And then not only that, I'm going to take you from the position that you were at fighting me, And I'm going to now give you the inheritance of my firstborn son. I'm going to give you the princely rights of the kingdom. It's like, wait a second here. We were at war with you. And you're giving us the glory of God, the princely rights of the kingdom of God. Same kingdom that we were just fighting Something's like not adding up here, right? And so, this all comes back to the idea that this is not our doing. We did not do something to make God think that, hey, I need that guy to run this kingdom. I need that guy to be part of my family because he's just so awesome. He got up there this morning and, and you know, he just spoke great. Because trust me, I'm going to make mistakes Right? And so we're not, we're not sitting here going, we're so great, we get into the kingdom. We're sitting here going, wait a second, wait a second, we're at war with you, you give us peace, and then you accept us as your son. And Paul spends the first four chapters, this is, this is why he's writing in the way he does. He had to build that case first that, hey, you don't deserve this, but you got it anyways. And so this hope, this inheritance of glory, leads us to our third point this morning. This is where we get into verses 2 through 5. There's a build-up to it. This hope allows us to rejoice in suffering. So quickly, 
I find myself just skimming over the first verse, skimming over the first half of the verse, and getting to 2 through 5, getting to rejoice in suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And that's, that's even, that's hard to believe even with the buildup that we have to it, right? How are we supposed to rejoice in suffering? Suffering hurts. It's not fun. That's why we call it suffering. And so we're walking through here. We've got one, we've got two, we've been accepted into this inheritance, this glory of God. And because of that, we can rejoice in our suffering. And I think in this time period, this is a topic that can kind of hit really close to home. Over the last year, just in case you haven't noticed, we've been dealing with a pandemic. A lot of people have lost jobs. A lot of people have lost loved ones. The stability of our nation in some ways has kind of been back and forth and everybody's worried about it and, and we get anxious and, and, and all of this is just kind of building and bubbling under the surface. And so... When we read through verses 3 through 5, or 2 through 5, we start to get this, all right, yeah, I'm suffering right now. What does this mean for me, though? How do I rejoice in suffering? It's not an easy thing to do. And Pastor Tim, throughout our pandemic, throughout the last year, has done a great job of pointing us back pointing us to we as Christians are not like everyone else. John chapter 1, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoso, whoever does the will of, the, of God abides forever. We get this radically different mindset from the rest of the world. And here, Paul is giving us another radically different mindset. And that radically different mindset, again, is built up from verses 1 and 2. The world is at rebellion with God. We are no longer in rebellion with God. They were at war. We've been given peace. They do not have an inheritance. We do have an inheritance. 
And so it brings in, we now, through our differences, can rejoice in suffering. And this is an insane idea, I get it. But thankfully, Paul does not just drop the bomb, hey, rejoice in suffering, drop the mic, I'm leaving. He gives us a little bit of info. What, what does this suffering produce? How do we get to this hope, this joy? And so he walks us through. Suffering leads to endurance. Endurance leads to character, and character produces hope. And your question now might rightly be, what are you talking about endurance and character? And how does this lead to hope? Because currently, all I feel is pain. Because when we're suffering, that's where we start. And it's easy to get stuck in the pain. And it's hard to remember that gold is not made pure just by letting it sit. There has to be fire. There has to be something to bring it and bring the impurities to the surface as the rest melts down. And Paul was not a stranger to suffering. Paul was not a stranger to this fire. As in 2 Corinthians 11, he lays out what is been happening to him. He's been beat, imprisoned, shipwrecked, exiled, stoned, and that's just the beginning of what he has gone through. And so when he's writing this letter in Romans, he, just as well as any of us, have felt suffering. And yet he's still saying, rejoice in suffering. And Paul makes a point that this suffering that we are rejoicing in, we don't rejoice because of our own power. We don't rejoice because of we can just grit our teeth and get through it. We're given a hope. We're given an inheritance. We're given glory with God. That is what we have earned through our or that is what we have gotten through our faith. Let me be very careful there. We have not earned it. Don't get me wrong. If I misspeak, please forgive me. And this, this attitude, this change in perspective, it is different than everybody else around us. And in that difference, in that working, it can be a beacon to those around us as well. And this is where we start to see the products of suffering. Where we start to see the products of our joy through suffering. Now I'm going to get to three application points here of how we can work through suffering together. But before we even get to that, the point of suffering is to build us up. And through that building up, through that being, showing joy to the world, we can be a light to the world. And by being that light, they'll ask a question, how do you do this? And that gives us a wonderful 
place to just kind of slip in a, well, this is why I can. This gives us a wonderful place to share the love that we have experienced already. And so, as we're thinking through, how can I rejoice in suffering? The ultimate goal here is glorifying God. All right, so some application points for us, right? So I love questions, and so the question that comes up is, how do we rejoice in suffering? I've kind of been saying it a lot. So first, let me provide you with maybe probably the biggest help. There is a point. Suffering is not pointless. It's through times of suffering when we question all that has been taken away from us. It's through suffering that we start looking at what's important and what isn't. It's through suffering that the truth of the gospel is revealed. Because as those things are pulled away from us, it hurts. It hurts to lose our job. It hurts to lose people around us. But that hurt, that emotion, just can throw us towards the Word of God and and the glory that we have and the truth that we have in here. gives us hope. And this this is probably best shown in 2 Corinthians. Again, following after, Paul lists out all of his struggles, all of his suffering that he's already endured. He follows up with verses 17 and 18 in 2 Corinthians 11. For this Light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so as we're suffering, the suffering is producing in us a reevaluation of, all right, did what I lose, is that comparable? Is what I'm going through comparable to what I'm getting? And now, don't get me wrong here. I'm not discrediting any of your suffering. And Paul, when he says light and momentary affliction, just listed out all of his suffering. And I think a lot of us here would not consider that light or momentary. But in comparison, we're not taking away from the weight of the suffering, but in comparison to the weight of glory, it's light and momentary. And in our suffering, these words, the Bible, can help bring us this joy. Secondly, another practical application for you, 
potentially. There's a point. Second, it doesn't, it isn't wrong to hurt. It isn't wrong to feel emotions. A lot of the time in our society, you said, oh, oh keep that to yourself. Oh, you know, the fact that you're feeling pain right now, that's not okay. You have to be joyous. You have to be happy. That's not what rejoicing and suffering is. Rejoicing and sadness are not mutually exclusive in the human body. You can feel two different things at the same time. And you're not wrong for doing so. Emotions are not bad. Staying in those emotions is where we run into issues. Staying in the sadness, staying in the pain, staying in the hurt, and only there, that's where we forget about what we've got. We forget about the glory of God. It's not wrong to cry. As a man, I'm standing up here and telling you, it's not wrong to cry. But there's something else to help us through. We get this picture, this inheritance, this glory helps us to realize that I'm hurting now. It's painful now. There's a lot going on right now. But I'm not stuck here. For pity's sakes, we have an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. Raw emotion is everywhere in that book. So if, if I haven't gotten it beaten into your heads yet, emotions aren't bad. You can feel them. Which leads me to the third point here. Third application, final application point before we wrap up. First, there's a point. Second, you can feel emotions. Third, you have people around you. Use them. We like to hide our suffering so easily we can just walk in, put on that nice fake smile and go, I'm doing great this morning. How about you? And we can quickly delve into that, you know what, everything looks good on the outside when really our world is on fire and everything's going wrong. God has provided us with brothers and sisters so that way when we are suffering, we can lean on them. And on the flip side of that, those of you who have suffered, you can provide that support for those who are currently suffering. This endurance, this character, this hope that your suffering in the past has provided can be a pillar for those who are currently going through the same thing you've already gone through. And so probably the best thing you can do is be open and honest with your brothers and sisters around you. If you're suffering, don't close yourself off from everyone else. If you see someone suffering, 
Don't hide your past of suffering before and go, oh, that's a unique thing. That's only you. I'm sorry. Right? Stand with one another. Be open with how you suffered in the past and how you got through it. And again, all of this points us back. All of this points us to the glory of God. Because when I've rejoiced in suffering, when I've gone through suffering, it's not because I can look at that suffering and go, I'm better than that suffering. It's because I look at that suffering and I go, God's glory is better and bigger than anything that can hit me. Now, for reference, I will suggest this, and those of you who do it, do it, and those of you who don't, don't. But Galatians 6 is a great way to point us to standing as a body together. And so I'd suggest you go home and read it. Um, yeah. Suffering is not pointless. Emotions are not wrong. And there are people here to help you. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for the work that you have done and provided us with. That in times of suffering, we can turn to you. Father, help us as we go out from here to just take these first five verses and, and let it permeate into our souls and our hearts. Help us to start to apply this in our life. And Father, help us to lean on one another as we do. Father, in your precious and holy name, amen.